So the food that we put in our bodies is constantly, it's either going to be medicine for us or it's gonna be a toxin for us. Totally dependent on the quality of the food and the way we're able to digest it. Hey, my name is Cheryl Witten, and this is the Aromatherapist Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the brand new ebook, Diffusing for Beginners. I created this ebook because there's so much confusion around aromatherapy and diffusing, and so much discussion and so much debating about what is safe. This ebook breaks down the mechanism of smell, the real dangers in your home from synthetic scents, and explains how aromatherapy can actually transform your home and space into a clean and natural haven. Discover the safety considerations around certain conditions like epilepsy, asthma, children, how to diffuse around pets, and more. Experiment with 48 different all-season diffuser blends. Diffusing for Beginners is available now on Kindle. Hello, and we are back. It's been a few weeks. I took a short hiatus from the podcast. Uh, I took a holiday since Christmas. Um, I've probably had about two months off of the podcast and content creation. So I'm very happy to be back. I was dealing with some things, some health things. And so and just taking a break because you guys, we needed a break. And I couldn't be more excited than to come back with this episode and my guest uh, to talk about some Ayurvedic medicine. So my guest today is Madison Madden, who is a practitioner of Ayurvedic medicine sustainability educator and expert yoga and somatic practitioner. She is the author of Mind Body Food, Redefining Your Relationship with Food. She is also an Ayurvedic doctor member of the National Ayurvedic Medical Association and is the founder of LiveWise, an Ayurveda and integrative health organization. She is a climate reality leader with the Climate Reality Project and serves on the board of directors of the Texas Ayurveda Professionals Association and Pacific Coast Community Acupuncture. So I talked to Madison today about digestive health and a lot of the basics of Ayurveda. So we really dig deep into the principles of Ayurveda, how to use this ancient system for good health. And we talk a lot about food and building a relationship with our body and with food that's healthy and that nourishes ourselves and nourishes our health. And so Madison's book really dives into this principle. And so we had a really awesome conversation, explained a lot of, I have some basic training in Ayurveda, but she explained a lot of the basics. And so I hope that helps you understand and kind of work through some of the myths that are out there or the misunderstandings of this modality. So without further ado, Madison Madden. Hi, Madison. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are an Ayurvedic doctor, and I've never actually met someone who is an Ayurvedic doctor, so I'm really excited to talk to you. So can you tell me a little bit how you got into Ayurveda? Yeah, um, you know, Ayurveda, I would say Ayurveda saved my life, and that's how I got into it. Mm. Um, I, you know, a quick recap of my story is that I was very sick as a young person. I um, had, the story goes that I had been playing in a grass that was sprayed with pesticides and I got really ill and was treated really heavily with antibiotics and steroids. And at that time that was, you know, kind of all we knew. And, and so I 
you know, my immune system, my gut was, um, had a lot of consequences from that. And I was sick with all of these seemingly unrelated health issues throughout my entire childhood and adolescence that nobody really knew what to do about. I was, you know, on antibiotics all the time. I was, you know, missed hundreds of days of school sometimes. And, um, by the time I was 19 years old, I was on about eight different pharmaceutical medications and, I felt like each one was ultimately just leading to another one. Um, and I was basically on a downward spiral and felt like I was gonna die. Um, I remember answering questions in college about people asking, you know, what I was gonna do when I grew up or what my career was gonna be or if I wanted to be a mother. And I remember answering, oh, like, I'm, I'm not gonna make it to be 30. Mm. So, um, Fast forward, I hit a point which wasn't um, actually stimulated by Ayurveda, but it was actually stimulated by a craniosacral therapist that I went to. Um, I had a gift certificate to see a craniosacral therapist and I went to this session and it was very subtle. I had never had that work done before. And in the middle of the treatment, she was doing an inter in my mouth work um, on the, my jaw. And I felt the cerebral spinal fluid from my spine to my head basically rush and I said wow what was that and she said oh you know that was your cerebral spinal fluid and turning your brain correctly it's been blocked for a really long time and I was like wow that was an interesting sensation and then I remember after that treatment essentially it was almost like there was more color in life and I remember going back home and looking down at my, you know, concoction of pharmaceutical medications and just having this kind of aha moment and realizing, okay, it's time for me to take responsibility for my own health. And that was a big turning point for me. I, I had no idea what Ayurveda was at that point. It wasn't until probably two years later that I even discovered Ayurveda. But what I did was I started to find ways to wean off of the drugs that I was on. I started to change my diet that led down this whole journey, probably 15 year journey of learning about food and all of, you know, the intricacies around food and nutrition and agriculture. And, you know, ultimately that led me to yoga and to Ayurveda. And I was able to do so much on my own, just from kind of reading, you know, nutrition books and things like that. But I still had these underlying deep seated conditions of a lifetime worth of um, ill health and Ayurveda I was able through Ayurveda, I was able to address and heal these deep seated conditions that were thought to be unhealable. Um, and as I went through that healing process, it was so profound and empowering and beautiful that I decided to devote my life to helping other people do the same thing and realize that my story is unique, um, but it's not that uncommon. And we each have, you know, our own healing journey that we're going through with different factors and different severities. And, um, but I, I found Ayurveda to be a tremendously comprehensive modality of health that addresses the mind, the body, the spirit, the environment, and is inclusive of spirituality and different types of religion and spiritualities. Although Ayurveda is often associated with Hinduism, that's not um, what Ayurveda is. Ayurveda is 
what I consider it to be is the study of nature's rhythms applied to the human body. And um, that encompasses so many beautiful modalities like aromatherapy, for instance, um, you can look through the Ayurvedic lens at aromatherapy and incorporate Ayur, uh, aromatherapy into Ayurveda in such beautiful ways, um, as well as so many other modalities through, you know, the umbrella of this beautiful science. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for telling me about that, because as you said, it's actually a common experience. And when I talk to people on the show, uh, practitioners, it's something I hear a lot is we have situations we go through ourselves and we figure out how to, you know, how to help ourselves. And then we help other people because of that. I always love to ask that question because it is helps. I feel like it helps us relate also and be empathetic towards clients we work with. Uh, and that's also my own experience of why I'm an herbalist and aromatherapist is because of my own health problems. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. Okay. So you, you talked a little bit about Ayurveda already as being this really big system. And so I have a little bit of training in Ayurveda because that's part of the curriculum for Western herbalism, um, is understanding all of the different perspectives of herbalism. So I kind of have a little bit of, um, understanding of the concepts, but I want to really pick your brain about, um, Ayurveda and digestive health and disorders. So, but I think before we get into that, we got to kind of go over some of the basics of Ayurveda for just the audience. So can you kind of go over some of those principles of this system? Yeah, absolutely. So as we talked about you and I, that, you know, it is hard to distill a large healing system into simple principles, but there are some really important things that um, are basically universal to Ayurveda that um, can be applied to pretty much everybody. So Ayurveda aims to address the root cause of disease or imbalance in the body. So a very simple example of that would be a tree that's being overwatered and it develops a you know disease on its limb and you treat the limb but you don't you know address the fact that it's being overwatered and it's rotting from the inside no matter what you do to the limb it's not going to actually heal the tree it's going to continue to develop the disease the rot so you know ayurveda's big main purpose is to find that root cause of dis-ease or imbalance in the system and remove it to allow the organism to find balance. We treat the person, not the disease. And that's a very important differentiation between Ayurveda and um, what we would you know, refer to as allopathic medicine, um, Western medicine. We recognize that each expression of imbalance is unique. So there may be two people that come in with diabetes and they will be treated completely differently in Ayurveda from an Ayurvedic approach which is, you know, dependent on many different factors. We look at the unique constitution of individuals and work with what we call the doshas. And the doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. And these are 
the three biological functions that are at play in all of life. And so it seems like a foreign concept if you're just hearing this for the first time, those three words. Um, but as you start to observe nature and um, all of its different expressions, you see the wheel, the, the cycle of these doshas at play everywhere. And so kapha is the building quality. Um, it's what builds and sustains structure. And pitta is the metabolic quality. It's what transforms one thing to another. So it transforms food into energy, transforms matter into, you know, form. So there matter into energy, vice versa. And vata is the catabolic force or what is responsible for movement in nature. So it breaks things down, it moves things around. And so these three biological functions you see in the natural rhythm of seasons, you see in every single cell of the human body, you see in our life cycle and each person tends to have a dominant expression of one or two of these doshic qualities. And so that's when you'll hear someone say, I'm a pitta or I'm a vata or you're a kapha. And it's been, you know, as most things are somewhat commercialized and that this qual this, um, you know, concept of doshas has been marketed and it's, um, it's been marketed in a way that very much oversimplifies what it is. Um, so if you hear, you know, I'm a vata, there's a lot of wisdom to that, but there's also a lot of complexity to that. And, um, and disease and health are dependent on you staying in balance with your innate constitution. So in Ayurveda, we're each born essentially with this recipe, this constitutional balance. And the closer we stay in balance with that recipe, then the healthier, more vibrant, more immune to disease we are. And the farther we get away from it, the more prone to imbalance and disease that we are. And so knowing our constitution and having a relationship with it, a relationship with it is the most important part, um, is a huge part of what we do in Ayurveda. We also focus deeply on digestion as the root cause of most ailments. So now that's something that modern science has begun to understand as well. So by digestion, I'm not just talking about the digestion of food. As humans, we digest food, but we also digest liquid through water, through alcohol, through toxins that are in the liquids that we're consuming. We digest air. So on the negative side, the pollution that's in the air. On the positive side, aromatherapy, right? The mm -hmm. medicine that's in the air. Um, and we also digest perceptions. So experiences that we have, memories that we have, we have to digest those. And so each of these food, liquid, air, and perceptions all have to go through a digestive process. And if that process is incomplete, or imbalanced, it creates disease. Either of accumulation of various toxins in the body, of inflammation, or of the depletion of tissues. And we call this in Ayurveda, we call this digestive fire or agni, mm. A-G-N-I. 
We call that the quality of our digestive strength, the Agni. And we call the accumulations of toxins in the body, Ama. And so you may hear this when you're talking um, or listening to things about Ayurveda, these two big concepts in Ayurveda are Agni and Ama. And then furthermore, one of the most important aspects of healing that Ayurveda emphasizes is the health of the nervous system. So in Western language, we now know that the importance of a positive relationship between the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system or the rest and digest response and our fight and flight response is paramount to health. Mm -hmm. So ultimately you can have an imbalance in one or the other, but dominantly we see a world riddled with disease relating mostly to stress and an overly dominant sympathetic response. So when you look at Ayurveda and yoga, which often people say is it sister science of Ayurveda, um, as people call it, through this perspective, one would almost think that they were built to address this nervous system relationship. So all of these things are important, fundamental building blocks of Ayurveda. I like that you brought up the problem of the commercialization of the doshas, because there's just a lot of yeah, that, that is a really complex part of Ayurveda and diseases are like in Ayurvedic principle diseases, the way I understand it, diseases are fluxes of these doshas. Um, and though you might be one, like, as you said, you might have just a dominant dosha an innate dosha that chain that can change really quickly. I feel like, is that correct? Like, I feel like it's so much more complex in the way that that moves around and you can have more than one, like diseases are more than one state. Like you'll have a, a Vata Pitta kind of situation that is affecting, that it comes up, shows up as a disease. I just feel like it's been so simplified that, okay, well, I'm just this, this is how I have to eat. This is what I have to do, but it's way, 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 way more um, yeah. complex than that. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's one of the reasons like, you know, I don't have a dosha test on my website, for mm -hmm. instance, um, because I don't think that that really um, necessarily serves people. I, I put in after explaining, you know, about these concepts and things like this, I, I kind of reluctantly put in a, a dosha quiz in the back of my book and, and even express I'm reluctant to do this. But because we've been talking about this, you know, I'll do this so that it brings some shed some light on this for the readers, but know that this is something that you really should build a relationship with and know that it's much more complex than this. So to answer your question, from an Ayurvedic perspective, your constitution actually never changes. So you are born with a constitution and that stays the same through your life. However, you going through a life cycle, for instance, as a, as a child, we all have naturally more kapha in us, you know, but like think of like a little baby butterball, you know, we just have a lot of, you know, that kapha structure, the the fat, the chunk, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, all that stuff. We need more sweetness. We need more um, of the building qualities in food and in life, more nurturing qualities. And our middle age is more dominant by pitta. Um, we are more action oriented. Um, we take leadership roles. We have a lot more fire that has more of a pitta quality. And our older age, really aging, um, simplistically put is really just the drying out process of the body. The tissues start to dry out and then become brittle. And then, you know, our bodies slowly begin to decay because of that. 
And so that is dominated by vata, the older, the later stage of life, but that's not a, ne a negative thing. Um, vata is also the elements of air and ether. And so in the later stages of life, um, people tend to have more proclivity towards the etheric spheres. They tend to have more success in spiritual practices. They tend to be uh, more in intuitive um, and trust their intuition more and um, be more connected to that quality of life. And so all of these things are constantly changing, but the constitutional balance stays the same. Now, when it comes to the expression of disease or imbalance in the body, that could be of any dosha. So you could be a kapha dominant constitution and have a vata imbalance. In mm -hmm. fact, that's really common. Um, and there can also be multiple doshas involved in an imbalance. You could be a pitta dominant person and you could have a tridoshic imbalance. And those are the hardest um, imbalances to address. Um, because they get very complex when you have all of the doshas working together to feed a disease. And so to, to kind of switch back into the digestive, you, you mentioned Agni and Ama, which I'm familiar with. Can you go into that a little bit? How does that affect the overall health and do those affect the doshas? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So Agni, if you imagine a little flame burning in your stomach. Um, that it would be, you know, the kind of metaphorical understanding of the Agni. And we want to build a productive relationship with our Agni. And ideally, the Agni stokes at consistent times throughout the day gives us the signal that we're hungry. Um, it effectively cooks the food that we put in. So if you think of a stove, um, you know, if, if the fire is too high when you're cooking food, it will burn some of it, but not cook other parts of it. And that's the same with our Agni, right? If we have what we call in Ayurveda, a Tikshna Agni, then it's too high. Then it actually can create toxicity in the body because it, you know, ultimately doesn't digest everything evenly. And then whatever is not digested then becomes ama in the system, becomes a toxin for the system because it's an undigested particle. And that can eat that, you know, if that's, it starts in the gastrointestinal tract, but if it's not addressed there and it continues to accumulate over time, then that's where it begins to spread to other areas of the body and localize in other tissues of the body. And that the localization of this toxicity in the system is what we call different things like arthritis, um, different qualities of inflammation in different tissues. And we each tend to have a different tissue of the body that is prone to weakness. Like for me, I had joint issues growing up. And so my joints are really sensitive to, you know, pitta, quality. So if I drink coffee two days in a row, I'll start to feel the inflammation in my joints. Um, and I also have a weakness in my bladder. And so if I, you know, if I don't take care of myself well enough, then it's one of the first signs that I'm starting to go out of balance as I start to feel um, imbalance in my bladder. So we each have kind of a tendency with different tissues in our body. And that is the tendency where this ama or these deplete, this depletion um, starts to localize. And I, I will also mention the Tikshna Agni is just one quality. So that's, you know, the 
kind of overly um, built fire that doesn't cook its food all the way and burn some of it. Um, then you've got uh, when the agni is too low, we call that munda agni. And that's like when you put, you know, you're trying to boil something on the stove and the, the fire is too low and it just takes forever and ever to burn or to, to cook. And if you're actually trying to cook food, some of it just never gets cooked in time. And so you've got, you know, al dente vegetables or you've got meat that's undercooked, right? And that, that also creates toxicity. So when the agni is either too high or the other one we call is vishama agni, which is an erratic agni. And this we see a lot, especially in the modern day of us just running around all over the place and having inconsistent routines and stress and things like that. We see an inconsistency in our appetite an inconsistency in our self-care rhythms. Um, and this is what we would call vishama agni, where sometimes we're hungry and sometimes we're not, or we eat when we're not hungry, or, you know, we, are okay digesting that one day, but the next day we're not. Um, and that similarly on however, you know, the food is not digesting um, appropriately, then that will create toxicity or depletion in the system. And then like we talked about, that's just food we're talking about, but you know, that's also at play in the various tissues and sensory organs through everything that we're ingesting. You know, what I just love so much about Ayurveda is I mean, this is a very old traditional healing system that explains, they didn't have the, the terminology, they didn't have the concepts to explain, you know, hydrochloric acid, for example, but like, it's exactly what's going on, right? Like if you're, def if you have improper digestion, it affects your entire health. So I just love so much that these systems are just like bang on and our ancestors knew what was happening you know, but had a, just a different way of explaining things. Um, and that these are still like relevant concepts because there's, you know, sometimes we, we read about things from like way back in the day and it was like, well, you know, I don't know if that was quite it, but I just want to add that because I think sometimes we kind of add in these like ideas of what we think Ayurveda is without understanding that, uh, that like it, it is correct. Yeah. And I will say to that, that, you know, just like everything, there are, I think that every health modality has its strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, Ayurveda, I would say the reason that it's so on point is that it's studying the, like I said earlier, the, the rhythms of nature. And so these are universal patterns that we're talking about and applying them, you know, to our lives. And, and that really never changes. And so but I will say that there are definitely some dogmatic belief systems that can come up even in mm -hmm. the Ayurveda world, um, you know, as, as you get culture and power and, you know, gender and all of those dynamics mm -hmm. through time. And as they get written down and all of that stuff, like you still have to filter out, okay, what, you know, what is cultural and what is the truth here? And what I love about Ayurveda is that it is considered a living science. So our goal with Ayurveda is to make it as relevant today as it was 5,000 years ago, because it still is. Mm -hmm. And to understand it, not as like you were saying, you know, I, I am a Vata constitution, so I have to eat these things. Like, no, the idea is to build a relationship with your true nature. 
And in that wisdom, you build a relationship with what nourishes you. And through this understanding of the way that nature works and the way that your own body works, and through these principles that help you do that, then you have a real time moment to moment relationship with your health. And that's what I want to help people do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what's happening with inflammatory bowel issues? (laughs) Is it AMA that's causing inflammation or is it a deficiency somewhere else that needs to be addressed? Well, I would say that it is both or either or neither, um, probably both depending on, um, what the situation is and it would be, it, it really is individual. So with inflammatory bowel conditions, most of the time there is a pitta involvement in this, um, with inflammation, with that, the heat, um, in the body, there is typically pitta involved. Now, most of the time there's also AMA, um, AMA has is has a very similar quality to kapha and so sometimes they you can kind of mistake them for one another but it really is individual so what i would look at with with um, inflammatory bowel conditions is more when did it start and what's the expression of it and how do we address it what part of the gastrointestinal tract is it in and that is that's an important part of this so um the three main areas of the gi tract that we look at in Ayurveda as being the seat of these doshas. The stomach is the seat of kapha and the small intestine is the seat of pitta and the large intestine is the seat of vata. And so when, when the initiation of this type of pathogenesis occurs, there's usually a starting point in one of those regions based on an imbalance in the dosha there. Um, And then it develops severity over time and various different types of expressions. Um, So it's hard to give you a, you know, a rule of thumb here, but most of the time in in inflammatory bowel conditions, pitta is involved. Most of the time there's ama involved. Um, And I would say also most of the time there is a nervous system involvement Mm -hmm. here too. Um, And that cannot be overlooked because if you just deal with food and you just deal with herbs and you don't deal with the mind and the perceptions and the emotions, then largely it's going to be very limited in its success. Okay. So what about a slow and sluggish gut or just a generally slow metabolism? So that would be the expression of what I mentioned earlier, which is Munda Agni. Oh, yeah. It's a very slow burning Agni. And um, that is very common. And, you know, it, it can both be constitutional and that's just honoring it. You know, it's it's honoring the fact that I have a, a lower Agni and I need to I need to eat less, I need to move more. Um, And sometimes that is lifestyle based, you know, it's not necessarily constitutional, but it's based on eating too heavy of food for too long, or it's, you know, stress can, you know, high stress can um, lower someone's agni and create that manda agni expression. Um, Sedentary lifestyles can create that sluggish agni. 
Um, so of course there's different expressions of it, but that would be that kind of low burning fire that needs to be addressed. And there's a lot of ways to address that, both with food, with spices, with herbs, with exercise, with mental stimulation, with uh, physical touch, with um, aromatherapy, with, you know, very, all of these things. And ultimately I always say to people, you know, kind of the more angles we come in with, the better, the more holistic perspective we have on this. We have this issue, let's deal with it in all of these different ways to reinforce this new pattern. So you mentioned Agni and Ama and the, like the tissues. And as you said, like digestion is sort of the root of everything. So are all conditions happening because of Ama? I mean, that's pretty simplistic, but is it really about unresolved digestive problems or just poor function here? Yeah. You know, um, the way I think of it and the way Ayurveda would address that is, Pretty much. Yeah. Ama is to make it simple. There's really two main pathways for the development of disease. And that would be the accumulation of toxins or depletion in tissues that creates issues. Um, so you can have someone with severe depletion that doesn't necessarily have a development of toxicity or ama in their physical body right? But they have depletion in their tissues that's creating brittleness. It's creating what we would call severe vata imbalance. And that has its own set of um, consequences. Um, and then you've got the accumulation of ama, which in its many, many, many different expressions, um, then, you know, branches out into the, the amazing amount of diseases that we have labeled these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So you talked about food and herbs. So I understand that food is actually like really key part of Ayurvedic practice. I mean, without oversimplifying it, as we already talked about doshas, but are there qualities or things we should, types of foods we should eat to sort of stoke Agni? Can we use food to resolve Amma? How, how does that work? Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite sayings in Ayurveda is that everything is medicinal if used in the right way. And I love, love, love that saying because we have a tendency as human beings to label things as good or bad, right or wrong. And in nature, that's not the case. Everything can be useful if we know how to use it. And so you know, I, I mentioned coffee, you know, coffee for me is not a good substance, but for someone else, you could use coffee in a medicinal way. Um, and there's, you know, we like to say things are superfoods or, you know, this is good for everybody. And it's just totally a joke, you know, because ultimately it's all just marketing. Um, we, we need to develop a relationship with the qualities of the food that we're eating. So it's amazing. The cornucopia of medicinal value in food is astoundingly beautiful to me. We, you know, there's foods that have a nourishing building quality that helps to produce, you know, breast milk and helps, you know, build, you know, bone tissue. And, you know, and then there's foods that are deeply cleansing and they cleanse the liver and they cleanse the gallbladder. And, you know, there's in it really, if you think about it, it's so crazy because everything we eat 
literally becomes our body. And I know everybody's familiar with that. You're the saying, you know, you are what you eat, but have you ever really sat down and thought about it? That like this carrot that you're going to eat today is literally going to become your eyes. Like that's a wild thought, right? (laughs) And so in order to really like comprehend that, you realize that that carrot goes through this whole like metabolic transformational process. And then it literally like becomes your skin and your nails and your eyes. And so the food that we put in our bodies is constantly, it's either going to be medicine for us or it's going to be a toxin for us. Totally dependent on the quality of the food and the way we're able to digest it. Mm. So when it comes to, you know, using food as medicine, it's not just as simple as saying broccoli is good for you. It is understanding what are the qualities of broccoli? Okay. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, broccoli is part of the cruciferous family and it um, tends to increase the vata dosha. Um, And it, you know, you can go deep into all these things, like how, how digestive is it? What, what types of tissues does it have an impact on? Um, What doshas are dominant in? And every food and every spice and every herb has this, uh, this profile to it. it has a constitution pretty much just like we do. And, and so you know, you can totally nerd out on that like I do, or you can just begin to develop a relationship with it where, you you know, when you're feeling heavy and lethargic, you you don't want to feed the heaviness and lethargic. You you want to use the qualities of, of lightness and probably a little bit of heat and stimulation in the food. And so instead of having, you know, ice cream when you're feeling heavy and lethargic, you probably want to have something, um, maybe some like, uh, sauteed vegetables with some extra spices on it to create some lightness and, you know, some heat and stimulation in the body, um, and vice versa. And so as you start to build a relationship with food in this way, it's not just a relationship with the food. It's also a relationship with your body and understanding and listening to what it is that it needs to feel good and to stay in balance. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, we talked about like in the oversimplification realm, I feel like Agni and Ama are also kind of oversimplified with like Agni has these traits, eat foods that have those traits. Ama mm-hmm. has these traits, don't eat foods that have these traits. So like mm-hmm. Ama's like, what is it? Cold and sticky. Mm-hmm. Is that cool. helpful at all? Or are we just back to like zero with, again, just being too, too simplistic in how we look at that? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. So Ama has the quality of, you know, sticky, heavy, you know, conglomerates. It's, it's, you know, it sticks in one place. And so food that, you know, if you're dealing with an Ama condition, you're probably going to want to avoid food that has those qualities to it, at least largely. Um, But you also, you don't want to just avoid those foods. You also want to address the Agni, want to address your digestive capacity to digest those things. And, uh, and, you know, Agni has the quality of fire, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about eating more fiery foods, but it's also about building a relationship with your biorhythms. And that is, you know, that's a huge topic in health right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, circadian rhythms. And it's so important. And it's something that we in our modern life have really um, 
taken a turn for the worse um, with because it's very, people have a very difficult time relating to their biorhythms. And so the Agni is a good example of that. You know, the Agni, um, if you think about kind of nature's rhythms, you know, the fire, the sun, I'm sorry, is at the, at its height at midday. It's when there's the most quality of fire in, in the daytime. And from an Ayurvedic perspective, that's also the time of day that you have the most metabolic, metabolic capacity. And so that's why in Ayurveda will oftentimes recommend that you eat your heaviest meal at lunchtime. So instead of, you know, sitting down for steak and potatoes, you know, at eight o'clock at night, you know, if you're a meat eater or, you know, whatever, um, you sit down and you have a nice heavy lunchtime meal. And then these biorhythms, you know, you can get very complex with them, but the, the quality of Agni is huge in that. It, it plays a huge role in your circadian rhythms um, for both creating an appetite. Um, it's related to your hormones. It's related to your sleep schedule. And all of these expressions um, are basically the building of good health. So when it comes to Agni, you don't want to get too simplistic with it by saying mm -hmm. something like, yeah, black pepper stokes Agni, you know, for someone that might not be the best thing to stoke Agni, even though it has, you know, a, a hot penetrating quality to it. Um, you, you might also need to look at some of these other lifestyle um, conditions for someone to help them with their Agni. So is resolving some of these issues, is it about internal purification? Cause I've seen that written in different places, like university sites writing that that's a really key, um, principle of Ayurveda. Is that correct? Yes. I okay. Would say that is correct. Okay. I would say purification and rejuvenation are key principles of Ayurveda. Okay. So really it's by, by yeah, purification and sort of, then that's how you resolve Ama, which then brings back that Agni. Am I getting that right? Yeah, well, and that, you know, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> ultimately your Agni, your digestive fire is your primal detoxification method. Right. So ideally, we don't have to do all these complex purifications, you know, ideally, you don't have to do the master cleanse twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a healthy Agni, then you your body is able to digest and, and you have a good relationship with food, your body is able to digest and you don't accumulate all these toxins. Now, with that said, we also live in a world where we're surrounded with toxicity, even when we do eat um, very healthy diets and probably will need to, you know, have some extra purification once in a while. Um, but purification isn't as simple as just like a liver cleanse or a master cleanse, you know, ultimately our everyday lifestyles, we want to build to be both rejuvenating and detoxifying. Yeah. So like you said, even with like your perceptions and things, getting those in the right, the right state, because otherwise you're going to just accumulate that stuff too, uh, or not yeah. properly break it down. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I love, so there, I don't know if you, are you familiar with Panchakarma? Maybe so, if you explain it. <laughs> Panchakarma is Ayurveda's, um, intensive detoxification translates to five pancha means five and karma means actions. So it means five actions. And there's five actions of purification that can be used in pancha karma. And those are, um, don't clench too hard. Um, <laughs> those are vamana, which is therapeutic vomiting, um, oh, rectamishana, yes. which which is um, bloodletting, uh, varechana, which is a purge of the bowels and ultimately a um, 
an, a detoxification of the small intestine. Um, there is nausea, which is uh, a purification of the nasal and head regions. Um, and then there's basti, which are therapeutic enemas. And in, at least in the United States, we are not allowed to practice vamana um, or rakta mokshana, um, but we, there are practitioners that we do nasya and varechana and basti. Um, but in India and other parts of the world, all, all five of these practices are practiced. But with that said, the reason I was bringing this up is those are very intensive detoxification practices. And in Ayurveda, they're actually considered to be as intensive as surgery because you're dealing with like the, you know, um, invasive internal structures. Um, so this is not something to be taken lightly. So mm -hmm. um, Panchakarma, just like the doshas have somewhat been commercialized. Um, you can go, you know, do Panchakarma for three days somewhere and, you know, get some oil therapies and stuff like that. Um, and that's not really um, what Panchakarma is, though it, you know, is built upon some of the light principles of it. Um, but the reason I was bringing it up is that in Ayurveda, it outlines that in order to release toxins, you must be in a relaxed state. And so when you go to do panchakarma, even though you're doing these intensive detoxifications through these internal organ structures, you're also receiving you know, full body oil massages and steam baths and um, therapies that work the you know, pituitary gland to relax the nervous system and various other of these rejuvenative qualities to completely nourish and relax the system. And then that allows the nervous system and the physical body to release these patterns that are upholding the toxicity in the system. And they always, I mean, we could go on forever to talk about the connection, right? Between the mind and the physical body. But as you do this, as your nervous system starts to relax, the physical body then allows these toxins to then come back, find their way back into the internal, what we call the koshta or the central channel of the body, and then release the toxins through these methods. And that's a really beautiful thing because oftentimes we think of detoxification of just like, oh, let's do a liver cleanse and mm -hmm. you know, take these herbs or you know, do a gut cleanse. But we often miss these deeper seated patterns or these deeper seated toxins that really require us to be rejuvenated simultaneously. Yeah, it's interesting that I, now that you're actually explaining it, I do know what you're talking about. It's actually kind of a common principle in a lot of ancient systems like to using alternatives and different herbs and things that would help just like cleanse the the tissues and the fluids and the it's not just about like getting the liver to work better but it's like an overall constitutional sort of cleansing because western herbalism uses that as well it's like an old that's an ancient system or principle as well absolutely which we sort of yeah like you said it's been commercialized and like turns into these like detox, you know, spa thingies that are like, get whacked down by, by allopathic medicine, because it's too simple, too simplified. It doesn't actually incorporate the, the, the principle of what it's trying to teach. Anyway. I mean, I could vent on that for a long time. Totally. I mean, you have, you've got a, you've got a common venter here. Cause yeah. I, I feel the same way. And, you know, I will say that I think that's both, you know, a, a product of, or commercial reality, but it's also a product of the 
supply and demand system that we're a part of, you know, something like herbalism and Ayurveda, they really require someone to, you know, I, I started this whole session by saying, you know, you ask how I brought Ayurveda or why I chose Ayurveda. And I said, well, it was, you know, I basically realized one day I need to take responsibility for my own health. And I see Ayurveda as, the, as a necessary quality of someone walking the path or using Ayurveda for their health is that they are willing to build this relationship and take responsibility for their own health as opposed to seeking you know, a magic pill or a magic system for them. Um, and ultimately, you know, I will argue that that doesn't exist, but that that thought process is, is not really the dominant thought process when you're dealing with people seeking better health. It's usually like, what, what can I find that's gonna, you know, make me better? Um, and hence the system. And I think that that kind of brings me into my next question. We actually see like so much of this because things are so simplified and because there's so many much commercialism in health, there's like debates over what we should even be eating. And, you know, we get into like fad diets and all this stuff where it's, you know, associated with size rather than like a foundation of health and of just your constitution and building on that, which I think leads to, I think it's a big cycle, a big cycle. It leads to metabolic diseases, it leads to basically all diseases. Then we want something quick to fix it, but we want to have the quick food that we enjoy. It's just this vicious thing. And you've been talking about your relationship with food. And I think that's actually the title of your book or part of the title of your book, Mind, Body, Food. It's about redefining your relationship with food. So what do you want to really see change in how we eat, how we approach food, but also like culturally and in, in society? I see our cultural relationship with food as basically a culture-wide eating disorder. And mm. I, and that, that comes from someone with a history of an eating disorder. I, I was bulimic for many years and, um, in the healing of that. And in the retrospect of that, I realized that, you know, I had my own issues with my relationship with my food and my relationship with my body image and, you know, family issues and all of those things. But I also was feeding off of a system that has a very dysfunctional relationship with food and with body. And, you know, that was for many years, that was a very secret thing. You know, I kept in the closet because I was very shameful of it. Um, but I, I since have realized that pretty much every person that I know has some dysfunctional relationship with food. And, you know, it may not be a clinical eating disorder, or maybe they don't recognize that it as that, but we have a very large scale dysfunctional relationship with what we're putting in our bodies and how we relate to it. So I'm obviously very passionate about this topic. And as I thought about it, and as I thought about what it was that I really wanted to, um, help seed in the world, I realized that like the world doesn't need another fad diet. The world doesn't need more rules and regulations about what you should eat or what you should look like. But to me, the real issue is that we need to address our relationship with what it is that we're nourishing ourselves with and why, and our, and you know, the relationship to our own bodies, to be frank. Um, so in mind, body, food, I, I, I go into some pretty deep rabbit holes with that, you know, what all the different ways that that manifests. And I actually talk about our relationship with food akin to the way we often talk about our relationship with an intimate partner. 
And that ultimately food, we've been having a relationship with food since the moment we were conceived and will until the moment that we die. And so ultimately our relationship with food is like our longest term relationship. And we play out very similar dynamics that we do with relationships in our lives. We, we have codependent dynamics, we um, have aversions, we fantasize about it, we build relationships based on our views and perspectives on it, um, we judge people based on it, we, you know, all sorts of these same dynamics, right? And it's fascinating how they mirror um, our intimate relationships. And so to me, it's important to go down that rabbit hole and ask some very important, you know, self-inquiry um, questions about why we relate to food that way and how we can take a perspective of self-compassion when it comes to what we eat. And then that changes the the choices that we make, you know, it changed when we realize that we have certain habits and patterns and cravings because of X, Y, Z, and we honor the fact that we are human beings and, you know, just disciplining ourselves all the time to just eat, you know, this, this, and this isn't going to work. And we're going to ricochet or, you know, realizing that calorie counting is in my opinion, a very un, um, unhealthy relationship with food. And that, um, you know, all of these different dieting trends and, um, you know, fad diets and things like that, you know, they, they work for somebody, they came from somewhere and there are, there is a relevance to them, but most of the time it's coming from a seeking or a longing of something that feels like it's missing in ourselves. Um, and so to me, the relationship with food is, is really the most important part because when you address it, just like you do when you're addressing, you know, a marriage, when you address it, you realize that there's all these things under the surface and through this quality of working on the relationship, you can completely transform it. And then you make conscious choices and you, you start to build a relationship with food that's intimate and beautiful and lovely. And, you know, you, you enjoy it and have, you know, it takes on a whole new thing as opposed to what we often experience, which is, you know, compulsion and addiction um, and, um, you know, withholding, you know, mm -hmm. all of these things are, are very common in our relationship with food. That's beautiful it's easy to get just super distracted by all of this nattering, you know, about what to eat and all of this, th these concepts rather than to look at how you're, you know, how you're responding to things, how you, how you behave with food, what's going on for you and how you pay attention even to your body. So that's wonderful to put out in the world for people. Cause I think it's very needed right now for sure. Well, thank you, Madison, for your time. Where can we find more about you and where can we get your book? You can find me at livewiseheal.com and you can find my book on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. It's called Mind, Body, Food, uh, Redefining Your Relationship with Food and by Madison Madden. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to meet you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. 
And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.